Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Hey, welcome back one and all to your favorite podcast, the Paused Reviews Podcast. As always, <laughs> I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty co-host, Tim. Tim, were you laughing already? Well, because we had a really great open going and then um our first blunder ever where frank wasn't recording so um you know it was we were we were, we were having a good laugh over the fact that we can't say the the name frank can't say the name of the show right anymore and we were gonna try and get him in trouble with his wife yeah it just we had a great bit and now it's ruined and now it's ruined and now it's weird and now it's forced but i mean it's just, we're laughing because we used to say, ladies and gentlemen, this is positive reviews a certain way. I don't I don't really know how I said it, but we right. said it the same way all the time. And it was a bit of a carryover for what the intro to the show used to be, you know, yeah. in those dark days before Tim came and brought the light. Yep. But it was <laughs> anyways, but Alyssa and, and I'm gonna blow her up because this is a risk, because she never listens to this show ever. But she's really excited for this week's episode. So the odds yeah. that she's listening are pretty high. Anyways, when she came, it was just like, why do you say pause reviews so weird? Like a question or like a whatever. But it got in my head. And so we've been chasing this mythical good cold open since that day. And now they yeah. all feel weird. Even And even if it sounds okay, I don't trust it. it. No, it doesn't. And when you just tried to recreate it, to be funny, it was actually the best it's been, <laughs> like the most normal that it's been since that happened. And I was like, "Oh, that wasn't funny." <laughs> so, dude, well, and but this <laughs> this is doubly funny because again, to blow her spot up again, uh, she came up to me the other day and was like, she had an idea. She talked to a friend who gave an idea of something that we could do to promote the show, right? Like little yeah, trailers yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, but she comes up and she was like, or you're not as funny as you used to be. Like, and you're much more serious than this. And I was like, wait, what do you mean we're not funny? And and I was like, I mean, I guess the intent isn't to necessarily be funny. And then she was just like, oh, yeah. What, but it got in my head. And it was just like, am I not funny enough? Do I need to be funnier? Am I not serious enough? Is this not good? At so now I'm just overthinking everything. You have what they call in baseball the yips. So now you have you have podcast yips where you're way overthinking everything, and it's just going to miss the mark every time. It's fun. It's it, this is fun. This <laughs> she may she may have just invented a new line of psychology. You know, there's sports psychology. There's now going to be podcast psychology. <laughs> it's true, or just wife psychology. I don't know. <laughs> Moving on, I am also thrilled to announce our guest host this week. Joining us for the second time, Joe. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. In case anybody's worried, Joe's not going to bring us down this time. He's not going to make us cry. There's a real redemption arc to this episode for Joe. I think. Anybody who's listened to this podcast this season, Joe has made several requests, which we have honored. Every time you watch Joe's movies, you need to sit alone in a dark room. You need to pop a few of those happy pills. And you need to ask yourself, why? Why am I here? Why do I exist in this deep, dark world? So when Joe <laughs> said he wanted to come back on the show and that he had a Christmas request, I was very curious to hear exactly what 
death movie we were going to watch? Was it going to be Krampus or some kind of ridiculous Christmas movie? Joe, tell the people what we're watching this week. Tell them what your request is. We are watching Love Actually, which is my absolute (laughs) favorite uh, Christmas movie of all time. So, yeah. (laughs) I love it. Which which is very different than any other movie that I've ever recommended to you. And actually, I didn't even realize this overarching theme uh, of the movies that I like until we, we started talking about all of my recommendations. And I was like, holy crap, like, what is wrong with me? (laughs) That's exactly what Tim said. Tim was like, do we have to ban Joe from requests? Because I don't know if I can handle it. (laughs) I'm really worried about Joe. Uh, Anyways, yes. So um, thrilled, absolutely thrilled. All jokes aside, so happy to have you here with us, Joe. And we are talking about Love Actually this week. As always, spoiler alert, we're going to break down this movie a bit and talk about some stuff. We're not going to do intentional spoilers or anything major. But if you haven't seen it before and you want to watch it before listening to this podcast, hit pause now, go check it out, bounce back here, check out the episode. If you are doing that, You can catch it on TV or set your DVRs because it is currently playing on a few days uh, leading up to Christmas on TV. So AMC is airing it on Friday, December 18th and Saturday, December 19th. Uh, These will be the TV edits, though. So if you Mm want to watch the movie in all its glory... Uh, you'll have to rent or buy this one, which which overall I would recommend. I, I think it's like $7.99 via most retailers to buy it. Renting it is still like $3.99 for HD. So j- just buy it. This is one you're definitely going to watch again next year. It's going to pay for itself. It's worth the 8 bucks. I will put one caution on that, that if you only have ever watched the TV version and this has become a family thing of yours... Don't don't buy it and sit down with the kids to watch that version. Unless you're prepared to have some hard conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To me, it's it's sort of sort of akin to how my family always had a taped from TV version of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And then when I finally bought it for my dad and we popped it in the next Christmas, it was like, oh, huh, got it. So definitely do your homework on that a little bit. There's some significant significant cuts for content and and actually i was just about to say and as a gay man every year that i watch this i completely forget about it and so it's always a surprise leave it to joe to just joe just mind wipes the boobs (laughs) love actually let's get into some of the details released november 14th of 2003 i i can't believe this movie is pushing 20 years yeah i think you look at the cast and I think they all look remarkably the same today as they did 20 years ago. Pretty close. Andrew Lincoln, yeah. Andrew Lincoln probably is a little more grizzled uh, after his, his stint on the walking dead. <laughs> and really with the exception of, you know, the untimely passing of Alan Rickman, I, I, there's really nobody in this cast has aged at all. So, uh, good for them the movie itself is rated r and generally well received uh rotten tomatoes critics give it 64 percent audiences as tends to happen slightly higher at 72 imdb has it at 7.6 out of 10 so generally a well-received movie well-reviewed movie it is long two hours and 15 minutes but we'll talk a bit more about that in a second in terms of budget this movie so 
critically successful, successful with audiences, but also financially successful. This movie was made on a budget. The numbers say somewhere between 40 to 45 million dollars. And in theaters, the worldwide gross was $245 million. So this movie was massively successful when it released in 2003. It was directed by Richard Curtis. So fans of the podcast have heard us talk about uh, Richard Curtis before. We did a whole episode on About Time, which he wrote and directed. But this was actually his directorial debut. He uh, has since also since this also went on to direct Pirate Radio, which is amazing. I think we mentioned it in that other episode. If you haven't seen it, yep. please go watch it. Yep. About time, as we just said. In terms of writing, that's really where Richard Curtis made his mark. And again, we've mentioned this before, but just in case you didn't catch that previous episode, he started in TV. So he's he's written Black Adder and Mr. Bean and The Vicar of Dibley, huge BBC or you know UK series. And in terms of yep. movies. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, and Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason, Pirate Radio, War Horse, About Time, Mamma Mia 2, Yesterday, and the upcoming Little Mermaid film. Over 50-something writing credits and an absolute master of the craft. Yeah, and a lot of this, uh, some of this will feel like really similar to you. There's uh, actually a whole scene in Love Actually that's cut from Four Weddings and a Funeral. And he admits that, that he he used that scene again. It's the scene where Colin is working as the uh, waiter at the wedding and he kind of hits on uh, a woman at the wedding who ends up being the chef and he downplays her food and it says how bad it is. And Richard Curtis is like, yeah, totally stole that from something else I wrote. And uh, Frank and I noted one of the one of the storylines in here with Laura Linney, her character, Sarah, really feels like a, a sort of almost of a stand in for Bridget Jones, the way that that her treatment is. And again, Richard Curtis said he kind of used some of his Bridget Jones um, ideas to influence her look and the look of her apartment. So um, a lot of this will feel very familiar when we kind of get into this world of Richard Curtis. Right. I, I never put those two together, Bridget Jones and the Laura Linney character. But once you mentioned, I can totally see that. Absolutely. Yeah, right? yeah, especially when you're talking about her flat and stuff like that. That definitely is reminiscent. So what is this movie about? You know, I really struggled with trying to come up with a synopsis for this because there's so much going on. So I'm just yes. going to read the IMDb synopsis. Love Actually follows the lives of eight very different couples in dealing with their love lives in various loosely interrelated tales, all set during the frantic month before Christmas in London. Two hours and 15 minutes of interconnected storytelling. Generally speaking, I just want to put it out there. I watch this movie every year, maybe more than just at Christmas. I would say I, on average, I watch this movie twice a year. And I have since it came out. This movie makes me laugh. This movie is so sweet. It's charming. It's it's easy to watch. For it being two hours and 15 minutes, it's not a heavy lift, um, yep. which is hugely successful. I'm a massive Richard Curtis fan. I mean, Notting Hill is also one of my all-time favorites. Pirate Radio, we've talked about. About Time did a whole episode and just gush fest over it. You know, he is a sensational writer. I will say, though... I do have some criticisms, and I think the main critique that I have is that the one of the main weaknesses of Love Actually is the fact that it's Richard Curtis's directorial debut, and I think it does suffer a bit from Richard Curtis being too close to the writing, having to make some hard decisions when it comes to 
being the director as well. So I, I want to take a look at this through that lens and pitch to you guys some ideas of how this movie could have been cut a little different to make it even better. And then let that sort of guide our conversation about what we think about the movies and the interlocking stories and all that kind of stuff. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think that sounds great. And I think in kind of conversations we've had with each other, we, we've kind of picked out a few pieces here and there that we could manipulate in different ways. And it was actually really interesting to find out that despite what made it into the film, Richard Curtis had a lot that he left out of this. He had full intentions to have 14 different love stories interwoven into this movie and then we end with what we got so there's be some stuff that we talk about along the way where some of these went how some of these were different and what we could have seen additionally that might have changed the the way this movie works and some of these ideas that we kind of bantied uh, back and forth are actually things that we were thinking could have helped the film as well and they were kind of cut so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of uh, weaves its way into into how we discuss this movie so before we jump into that what did you guys generally think of the movie? Joe, we know it's your favorite, but what are your overall thoughts? Why why this pick? I absolutely love this movie because it gives you sweet and salty together. Like, it gives you the highs of those good, warm, Christmas, lovey sort of feelings, but it also just breaks your heart in some pieces it's a just a wonderful mix of a whole range of emotions and and i love when a movie does that and especially for a christmas movie i mean i i can't think of another christmas movie that sort of rides that roller coaster of emotions like that so that's why i have to watch this every year you know around this time because it's it's just it's so amazing Mm. tim you've seen this one before right yeah, it's been a long time, but I really love the analogy that, that Joe just used because we think of when we see these Christmas movies, they're all magical and happy. And we've all had every one of these Christmases, the disappointing Christmas where we didn't get the gift that we thought we were getting for one reason or another, right? The box is like, oh, that's it. And then it's not, I mean, maybe not because our husbands are cheating on us, but like we've all had that where like some Christmases are more of a bummer or something goes wrong and you know, your personal life is interfering. And then we've had those other ones where you're falling in love. You met somebody prior to Christmas and you're going through all of that in a romantic time of year, like whatever that is. So I think hitting all of those moments in this movie makes it very relatable on all of those and and it does it kind of keeps it a realistic aspect everybody's going through something slightly different right at, at this season ultimately it is enjoyable i don't know that it comes one of the movies that as maybe we're going to talk about next week uh, a must watch for me to feel like it's christmas i feel like i could kind of watch this movie whenever um almost even on valentine's day you could get away with watching this movie on, on, on you know like for a valentine's watch so sure i don't know that i would have to be in the christmas mood to watch this movie and the parts that i really like about it though are unfortunately dampened by some of the storylines that i think we're going to talk about cutting in a little bit i think there could be a tighter movie in here but that doesn't necessarily negate the overall just kind of joyfulness of this uh, uh, of the bigger parts of this movie yeah, and I wanted to set that stage out the gate because, like I said, we now we are going to seemingly focus on negative, and that's not the intention of this movie. I yeah. wanted to set the stage that all three of us genuinely enjoy this movie. Joseph loves it. And so, and, <laughs> and so I wanted to say that because 
you know, I want everyone to enter the rest of this episode with an open mind and, and hear us out, hear me out, and uh, and let's see where we go from here. So that being said, unpopular opinions begin. And as I mentioned, I think the main weakness of this movie is Richard Curtis coming in as the director as well as the writer. It's not something he's done before. And we've discussed movies already this season where this has been a factor either for good or for bad, right? Sam Mendes in mm -hmm. 1917 being a first-time writer coming from a directing background. Quentin Tarantino with True Romance, um, that being a film he wrote but did not direct and arguably one of his strongest outings because he allowed Tony Scott to come in and give it his vision. And I think what is important to point out here is that I feel like having the, the roles of writer and director separated gives you that accountability, right? That checks and balances that you need where the director can come in and take the words on the page and, and has, has the experience and the knowledge to know what can translate well on screen, what can further the story visually and what can't, what's missing, what needs to be amended, whatever the situation is. Additionally, the director not only oversees the shoot, but oversees the editing as well. And like we said, a writer can tend to be too close to it, right? Someone who wrote the movie just spent months, if not years of their lives, perfecting what they believe is now the epitome of this screenplay, right? Like this is the yep. pinnacle. This is the best it can be. And every bit of it is necessary. But when you get in that editing room in particular, you've got to make some hard choices. Um, yep. So I think here what the result ends up being is a movie that is a little bit too long and does have a few things that I think you can do without. I understand what you're saying, and I agree that maybe some lines could be cut, but I just don't feel like the movie is too long. Like I will sit throughout the entire movie and I will just consume it you know, from the beginning to end, and it's just such a joy for me to watch that I could sit for another hour easily if they did add, you know, those, you know, 14 total storylines. Like I, I would have loved that. I would have absolutely, you know, gobble that up. So the Avengers I mean, end game of rom-coms yeah. <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> no, you yeah, know what? No, I, and, and yeah. I'll check, I'll check myself in the sense that, because I even, I opened up this episode saying that this, it, it it wasn't a burden to watch this movie, and and I think right. I think what I mean, and not to cut you off, Joda, but to, to maybe amend so that you can respond to this, is that I don't feel like the movie. I I don't necessarily wish the movie was shorter. Like I'm not upset at the length because I agree it doesn't feel like two hours and fifteen minutes, but I do notice the moments where we step away onto another storyline that I don't think is overly necessary and it annoys me that we have to do that at the expense of me getting more time with the characters I do enjoy. No, and I absolutely get that. There are definitely some storylines that are better than other ones and it's just I can understand where you're coming from with this. Absolutely. I I see a lot in Frank what you're saying here and I think back to the great escape when we talked about that, right? Another mm. kind of uh, ensemble thing. And that movie drags on for close to three hours and we're left empty, right? With a lot of those characters. And that definitely doesn't happen here. Correct. Uh, so if anything, I can see what, what Joe's saying. There's a lot of these that like, I feel you could do more with some of these storylines. If you're not going to do without them, 
they might have needed to be more. And so you could be ending up being, you know, the the, the end game of, of rom-coms <laughs> because there's meat on some of these stories that I think we're going to argue should have just been cut totally. Yeah. So to speak back to Tim, to the point that you made about how much more movie was actually here, I kind of came up with this cut list totally in my brain being like, oh, <laughs> I should write movies. I should be an editor. Like my version of this movie would have been so good. I'm actually surprised to find out how much did get taken away. So yeah. that is insane to me. And it, and it does put a it, it puts the first kink in the criticism of you know, maybe he didn't have the balls to to make an, you know the cuts, but I guess I would continue to argue. I feel like he didn't make enough, and so now I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a few to you guys. I'm gonna you know pitch you guys some ideas of what I think could possibly make this a smoother cut to the movie, and mm-hmm. and then see what you guys think of each one. I think by making these additional trims, you can achieve two things or one of two things you get to spend like i just said a lot more time diving into the relationships between the remaining characters and really give more of those stories more of those details and enrich those characters further right like for example there are parts that are just throwaway lines so we know daniel played in the movie by liam neeson and karen played by emma thompson are friends somehow we have no idea how there's a scene where Daniel calls Karen and is like, you know, hey, oh, I'm just the poor widower calling to gripe about his dead wife, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm busy, honey, but I'll talk to you later. And then after the after the wedding or, or whatever, she or after the funeral, she's back at his place and, you know, they're having conversations and she's being comforting or whatever. No idea how those two characters relate. Do they work together? Are they childhood friends? Are they like, I don't understand. And so me personally, I would kind of like to have some more of those details. And, and and without adding in to the two hours and 15, again, taking away some stuff could allow us the room to play with those relationships a little bit further and spell them out and enrich those characters better. Yeah, definitely fleshing them out a little bit would have been nicer. But there's also something to be said about not necessarily filling in all the gaps and allowing the viewer to sort of make those connections uh, for themselves. I think it just lets you sort of make those determinations and, and, you know, figure out for yourself, you know, what's, what are some of these relationships? And I don't know, I, I, I like that aspect of it. Um, but fleshing it out a little bit better, I mean, would have also been nice too. The second thing that making some of these cuts can do, if you do nothing else, if you keep everything in the story the same, it would be a leaner runtime, right? And I think, like I said, not bouncing around so much and, and muddying that water, I think you make the movie generally easier to digest with with less of the stories, less of the stuff to try to follow, less pullaways, right? You can kind of find those threads a little bit easier. And additionally, I think it makes it easier to air on TV, right? Currently, mm-hmm. the TV edit, like Tim was talking about, cuts the Jack and Judy storyline. And those are the body double stand-ins. That's obviously edited out for television. But even with that whole storyline cut out, the movie still runs three hours with commercial. This does not make it something that easily airs like some other holiday classics, right? So I think even if you trim this down a little bit, you make it easier to air and it could air more readily on television, which means even more profits on the back end. These cuts help in multiple ways. Yeah, I mean, I think you talk about the Jack and Judy storyline. 
it plays up like it's going to be more important. And then we lose that through the almost the entire middle section of the movie to the point that I was like, oh, crap, what's up with them? And then, you know, they're neatly kind of tied in a bow. And yeah, it's cute. But I think we can find other ways of telling that same sort of story by making some other connections. Well, so I'll pitch this and we'll get started here. I have two absolute must cut scenes. Uh, and yeah. the first one is Jack and Judy and their storyline. I agree with you. It feels the most out of place. I think it's funny and I think it's cute and I think it's endearing. I mean, without question, just this whole idea of how shy they are and how even though, I mean, they've essentially banged out on camera. Uh, right. they're still very they're wholesome characters and, and that juxtaposition is hilarious to watch on screen but I think it's superfluous and I think I don't think their story necessarily furthers the overall idea of trying to illustrate these different types of love right mm -hmm. and and how they you know how they can play out and how they can affect people in different ways whether it be you know familial love or marital love or friendship or unrequited or whatever this doesn't really have like a a base to stand on and additionally like i said it's already cut out of the tv edit so i right. think this is the first easy one to take out mm -hmm. see and, and and even though like i would agree with you that if you're going to take out a storyline for a TV edit, yes, this absolutely should be the one that you take out. I don't know. I, I think this storyline is, I think, the purest out of them all, just because of what you said earlier. Like, it's it's almost like two just innocent people and just like a schoolboy, schoolgirl sort of crush where they're just talking, but very innocently, you know, having these conversations, getting to know each other, but also these very common conversations about the traffic and oh yeah there you know there was an accident and it, it, it's it's just that juxtaposition that difference between what they're doing and then how their relationship evolves i think is just so weirdly pure <laughs> and and i don't know it's 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 a it's a cute piece but yeah i mean it could definitely be cut i think you could then end up accomplishing that same puppy love innocence with maybe extended scenes or some other interaction between Sam and Johanna, the actual school children, right? Like right. we yeah. could demonstrate that sort of puppy love idea, which we're getting in this scene, in, in this storyline and, and kind of push it elsewhere because we never actually see them interact and it might be cute, you know? Yeah. She just appears during the, during the school show. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time you see her. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's spot on point. Yeah. Like let's, let's show the childlike innocence with the actual children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next one that I say is an absolute must cut and an easy cut to make is the, the story arc with Colin and Tony. Uh, that is the the British guy who wants to go to America yes, because he thinks his cute British accent's going to land him all the hot American chicks. Again, I think it's funny, and but I just don't think it furthers the story at all. It's awkward at times. And again, a little forward thinking. You want to make this a more traditional Christmas movie? I don't think it really adds much to the story. And I And I don't understand how he relates to the overall arc of different types of love. I mean, he, his is just lust. It's not even, it doesn't even really fit in anywhere. I mean, he ends up coming home back anyway with some girls in tow, and I don't really know what that proves. I mean, I think if you look at the original concept with a bunch of these other storylines, there might have been some other sort of 
smaller vignettes that this might have kind of played with like you would have you would have had more of these smaller vignettes that just kind of served to bookend some of the bigger stories but ultimately i think his ends up being just my least favorite storyline at all while i will say that i think he that that storyline gets americans pretty right um and i think it's funny about you know dropping them in the middle of milwaukee and walking into a bar like it just it's not offensive because i think you look at that and you're like yep that's that's that seems about right i just don't like it (laughs) i just don't it's good for a laugh but i don't i think it takes you out of the heart of this actual movie just to be raunchy whereas i think the scenes with the actual nudity are not raunchy and oh that's just, interesting you know what i mean like those scenes where you see a topless lady a couple times throughout this movie they're not raunchy but you have this these parts in the movie and it just deviates from the real heart of the love like you said frank where it's just lust i don't understand what what he's going at um here other than the fact that he's not cute in his own country so he's going to try his hand abroad it just feels weird Joe, as a defender of love, actually, uh, cut or keep? Uh, that's that's a that's a tough choice. I, 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 <laughs> is I <agree>. it? <laughs> it? I mean, it is because I get so much enjoyment and laughter out of these scenes, like that storyline. Sure, but at the same time, I I also agree that that he is my least favorite character. And wouldn't you does... trade him for more of one of your favorite characters? Oh, I I would absolutely trade that storyline for more of uh, of Colin Firth and uh, and Aurelia and their whole storyline. There's that storyline's my favorite uh, by far. But ooh, um, yeah. <laughs> but no, but, but but absolutely. If if that's if that's the offer that you're that you're making me, absolutely cut it. Done. Okay. So now things are gonna get a little tougher. Um, yeah. So now here come the harder cuts. So for this next round of cuts, uh, I'm going to say that we need to lose one. One of these two. But you can choose. Okay, so first, the two scenes that are competing against one another, I guess. Uh, Number one is either the Sarah-Carl arc. So Sarah's Laura Linney, Carl is Rodrigo Santoro. Or the Juliet-Peter-Mark love triangle arc with Kira Knightley, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Andrew Lincoln. So you have to choose one. Do you want to know my preference first or do you want to make a blind choice and then hear which one I would choose? How do you guys want to do this? I think I'd like to hazard my thoughts first. Okay. Okay. Um, so you, and then you have you. to cut one. This is tough because I really, I, I, I struggle with the Juliet, Peter and Mark situation. I think Mark is creepy and his his (laughs) his handling of the video and the fact that he videoed her the way that he does and then you know like you can argue he's redeemed at the end where they kiss and he's like okay that's enough i've you know i've ruined my best friend's life enough that might be enough to redeem him but i think i have to really as much as that bothers me and he's just creepy, I think I cut the Sarah and Carl arc because what I get from the Sarah and Carl arc is a love of family, right? She's, she's got this unrequited love, which I think we can kind of play again through like the, the Sam and and Joanna kind of angle. 
And the love of family can also be played in, in the Sam and Daniel um, with Liam Neeson. I think you can get the love of family there. That is what I got out of the the, the, the Laura Linney storyline is that at the end of the day, it's always going to be about her and her brother. Their, the, the, their relationship, their date scene, their hookup was just awkward. Uh, Carl was too pretty. She was too Bridget Jones. And it just didn't <laughs> feel well. And I will add that one of the scenes that got filmed and ultimately cut was played off of her storyline, there, where there is a poster behind her, her desk, right? And it's of feeding people in Africa in a famine. And they went and filmed a couple of scenes in Kenya that were cut and it was to show the love of family uh, amongst these people that are struggling with fam- famine in Kenya. And it was going to be like this weird, like, Ooh, zoom in on the poster. And we, you know, like dissolve into Kenya. And I think you could have cut her storyline with that. Right. We didn't need any of that anymore. It just doesn't go anywhere. It gets too weird. I had too many more ick factors with her storyline and not enough brought to me that I didn't get elsewhere that I think as much as I hate Mark and I just disgusted by him, I think I'd cut the Sarah and Carl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Joseph. Yeah. I you have to cut with, one. Yeah. If, if I had to cut one of them, I think I would cut the uh, Sarah and Carl arc as well, just by the end of it. And, and again, I just, to what you're saying, you know, family love, I, I understand that, but by the end of it, it just, there's something about it that just doesn't sit right with me. And it's not necessarily that she doesn't get to be with a man that she's, you know, fond over for two years, you know, three months and like 14 days or however long, you know, she, 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 she worked at that company. It's just by the end of it, I don't know. I just, there's this emptiness that I feel uh, that sort of gets transmitted through her story, where it's not necessarily caused by the sadness, because you do have other very sad storylines in this movie, but I, I don't get that same feeling. Um, whereas the Juliet, Peter, and Mark sort of triangle, I, I mean, you get that I, iconic and classic scene from this movie with with the cards, you know, outside of Juliet's place, you know, after after she gets married. When when people think of love, actually. Most people think of this because, I mean, it's it's been just copied out the wazoo on so many different uh, formats that it's, I, I feel like this is such an important scene to the movie that it's just, th- this storyline has to be kept in it. Yeah, so I, it seems like we're all in agreement and I'll just kind of throw in my two cents. I I also would cut the Sarah Carl arc and and keep Juliet, Peter, and Mark. You know, for Sarah and Carl, the things that bother me there are, it, it seems like what they're trying to put out there is the family love and also sort of this unrequited thing. But, but the thing about the unrequited part is that Carl does like Sarah. Whether Tim can buy into it or not, Carl is into Sarah. Sarah obviously is more into Carl, right? Is it a sense of like, I kind of get, I think where the creep factor comes in, I get a vibe from Carl that he knows how much Sarah likes him and it's an easy conquest for him. I never get the sense that he genuinely cares for her or, or her family or even knows anything about her situation, right? I think additionally, if we're talking about the family part, 
I never get a payoff from Sarah that she is at peace and happy with her decision to choose her brother over her own mm -hmm. life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a little bit at the end where she goes and spends Christmas with him and they're kind of smiling or whatever, but she always answers the phone with disdain. It's always mm -hmm. what a sacrifice she's making and what a this she's, and it doesn't feel very loving and giving. Whereas I think the Daniel and Sam storyline is so much more successful at depicting familial love with an even added twist in that Daniel is not Sam's biological father. Daniel right. is the stepfather. Sam's mother then dies. And then you have this amazing payoff where Sam calls Daniel dad. And, and we yes. watch that. And I mean, keep your eyes dry during that scene. You are a monster. Right. Like, because, and I think it's so much more successful and I never feel, I never feel that happy feeling with Sarah and her brother. So I think the Sarah and Carl arc fail on multiple levels. Um, yes. Also the, the relationship between Sarah and Alan Rickman is super weird and uncomfortable when he's calling her out on why aren't you tapping Carl? Like this is your boss. The whole thing feels not well thought out. Yeah, that would never happen nowadays. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, Frank, you're 100% spot on that Carl doesn't even redeem himself when they see each other again on whatever, that Christmas Eve. You know, he doesn't say... Yeah, it's just a hey, bust so, and forget it. Yeah, like, sorry things didn't work out. Is everything okay with your brother? Like, she explained the situation to him. And, you know, a, a decent human being is at least, even if you're bummed that you didn't, you know, put another notch in your belt, wouldn't you at least ask your coworker, like, hey, everything all right with your brother? You know, sorry, we didn't, you know, can we go out for drinks again some other time? Like, I just, you yeah, know, if he, check it. If he really cared for her and, and she right. explained the situation, why not say, would you like me to drive you there? I'm, I'm not going right. to go in. Let me drive you. I'll give you a ride home. You can talk to me about it, right? Be there for this person. And that's not what happens there. So I feel like that yep. relationship is really gross. And so I'm happy to cut that in favor of the more immediately obvious gross <laughs> relationship, which is, which is Mark. And I, and I think, so what I say is I would keep the love triangle with a caveat, right? I would want them to spend some of the time with all the cuts that we're making to work these characters more better in together, right? So so we know that Mia is friends with Mark because when she picks the venue for the office Christmas party, she's like, my friend has an art gallery. Here's a great venue, whatever. Maybe make a slight tweak where, you know, she's friends with Mark and Peter and have a conversation scene where they're all kind of chatting and Peter's like, hey, this weekend, me and Juliet were thinking the three of us or the four of us could go do X, Y, or Z and then have Mark try to back out again. And then Peter yeah. can say, you know, something along the lines of, you know, hey man, you know, I wish you guys would get along. She means so much to me. You're my best friend, blah, blah, blah. And then he walks away and then you can have a scene with Mia and Mark, where she's like, you know, what's going on with you? We all love Juliet. Why do you hate her so much? And, oh, maybe he fumbles and she's like, you love her. And then she kind of criticizes and then he can call her out and be like, well, at least I'm not trying to bang my boss and blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of come to, you know, a mutual agreement of I'll keep your secret, you keep mine, whatever, right? So you can set it up in a way where we have the reveal of how Mark feels about Juliet without the creepy jerk off video which is the only yeah. reason why he obviously filmed it that way. And on the internet, 
exists a scene that is cut from this movie that actually sort of would have accomplished this. And Richard Curtis says they cut it because they wanted to knit the story together slightly differently. But the story actually fills in a couple of things. You know, Mia mentions early on that, oh, I have a friend who runs this gallery and we could do our Christmas party there. Well, Mark is the gallery, the guy who runs the gallery. So there is a scene where he is unpacking the uh, art display that we see at the party, all the kind of blue, naked, vaguely Christmas themed things. And Mia is there with him and they are unwrapping it. And Mark is dismayed to find out that the first thing that he opens from this new artist is supposed to be family friendly. It is a pair of butt cheeks with a red Christmas butt plug sticking out of the back of it. Mm, I have and one of those. Is, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I call um, it Rudolph. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much it's exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> it lights so, up at night. <laughs> so Mark is distraught, um, but then Mia tells him about. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep keep moving past the. You know, <laughs> did you hear that, Alyssa? Do you know what Frank has in that box underneath his bed? <laughs> Who do you think bought it for me? <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> so. This this scene, like I said, essentially exists. Mia is telling Mark about her boss, and she's like, I'm going to have an affair with this guy. And Mark's like, well, is he married? And she says, well, yeah. And Mark says, well, don't mess with a married couple because it's just nothing but trouble or something like that. And she starts to kind of press him, and it's like we're building to that moment, right? That, that moment where he's going to admit this. So it's interesting that they cut that because it does kind of interweave a couple of things a little bit earlier in the movie and make those connections. But it does make Mark out to be a little creepier, uh, less creepy. Like we could have, you know, maybe Mia is the wrong person to have a come to Jesus moment with him since she's trying to, you know, essentially just own her boss at any second in this movie, the way she acts around him. But it, it would have been a little bit better than what we do get from mark which just is pure creep see pure that creep. frustrates me that that got cut because yeah th i mean that's exactly what i was thinking it, it's it would be so easy to fix this character and make him even more lovable than he already is right N no one has a problem with the cards that's the sweetest one of the sweetest scenes of the movie the weird creepy part about mark is the video and there's an yep. easy way to get rid of that and i think that relationship um, or that triangle, rather, it illustrates a lot of great places. It, it, first of all, that would connect, like like you were just saying, it would connect some of these mm -hmm. stories a lot cleaner. But additionally, I really do like the triangle story because it not only demonstrates the unrequited love, right? Mark is in love with Juliet. She obviously doesn't feel the same way. She's in love with his best friend and is obviously married to him. But additionally, it also shows that brotherly love between best friends because unlike Mia, Mark is doing the right thing. He respects the fact that Juliet is Peter's and he will never say or do anything and, and enters that self-preservation mode, which is I would rather she think I hate her than to ever give any sort of indication or cause for concern or you know, cause for doubt in their own relationship by putting my stuff out on front street. And it isn't until he realizes that his actions are still doing harm to his friendship mm -hmm. and their relationship that he comes out and is like, I love you. That's it. It's over. It, we're going to move on. It's, it's all said and done, but at least now you understand 
go be happy with my buddy. And, and so, yeah. you know, again, I don't want that to be a storyline that we lose. So with both of these and all the stuff we laid out, I cut Laura Linney and uh, Ro Rodrigo Santoro keep the love triangle because I think it achieves so much more and can achieve even more cleaned up a little bit and given a little bit more attention. Yep. Before we go to anything else, can I just say about those cue cards, the one <laughs> card that I cannot stand is the one where he says, you know, and on Christmas you tell the truth or something like that. For some reason that card gets under my skin. It is the corniest <laughs> Just most most skin crawling card that I that 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 I've seen, and it's just I I can't get every time I watch the movie and that card comes up. I'm like, is that even a thing? Is that is that an actual saying that that on Christmas you have to tell the truth? Like, why have I never heard of this? Considering that you know we've been bred to lie when someone gives you a present, you're like, ah, oh, this is great. <laughs> no, no, not a thing. Honestly, the part the part that bothers me are the little collages that he builds where it's like, yeah. I'll marry one of these women. And it's all just these little cutouts of these various models and whatever. And, and, and again, people watching that today won't even understand the references. Be like, who is that? Yeah. Who are these people? I, you know, like, just just say I'll be with the woman of my dreams or, or whatever. But, like, but yes, it is cheesy, but we'll forgive it. So now. One final cut, the hardest cut, the cut that goes the deepest. <laughs> and I think it's hilarious that Joe said what he said because I'm going to cut the Jamie and Aurelia arc. No! Out the <laughs> totally, it's gone. Okay, but wait, yeah. let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Uh, and, and then Joe, we'll, keep, <laughs> we'll go to you and see what you think. Okay, for a couple of reasons. Number one. I have no idea how Jamie connects to this story at all. He's at the wedding, right? He's at Peter and Juliet's wedding. But we have no idea how. We don't know who he's friends with. We don't know if he's invited by somebody else. We don't know if his girlfriend is friends with someone and he just happens to be there. She's playing sick, whatever. So I don't understand how he connects. Additionally, his timeline of events with Aurelia is insane his timeline of events makes 500 days of summer look like a, the five-year engagement so <laughs> the course the course of this movie takes place in four weeks the four weeks leading up to christmas day week one we watch jamie going to the wedding finding out his girlfriend is a cheater uh with his brother she he leaves london and goes to the little chateau or whatever, the little lake house in France, I'm guessing, and meets his new cleaning lady, who is Aurelia, this woman from Portugal. And all of that happens in a week. The last week of the movie, she's back in Portugal. He's back in England. He's learning Portuguese. He's doing all these things, right? So subtract those two weeks out of the timeline. Aurelia and Jamie are together for two weeks in the same place. And in those two weeks... They don't even talk to one another because they don't speak the same language. The closest they get is when she pantomimes whether or not his book is a romance or a murder mystery or whatever. Now, in the course of those two weeks, they fall passionately in love with one another. He goes to Portugal, proposes, and then they're engaged. 
having never spoken to each other. That's insane to me. As much as I berated 500 Days of Summer, I can't let that go. <laughs> this is yeah. crazy. And, and I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't feel right. This is a different movie. It's not even set in London, really. They spend their time at the lake in France. It's not the same movie. And when I looked it up, it's because it, is it isn't. Right. It is. So right. Richard Curtis, go ahead, Tim. Do you know the story? I've read about it briefly, but I think you probably know a little bit more. But it is. It is. It is from a different movie. That and I think the Hugh Grant storyline yes. is also. They are pieces from another movie. From two separate movies. So yes. at the time that Curtis is writing this, he's also writing a movie about a prime minister who's young and unmarried and you know falls in love while he's the prime minister of England. He's also writing another movie about a guy who finds out his girlfriend's having an affair and falls in love with this Portuguese woman while in uh, France. So he decides to bring those stories and just throw them in the mix, combine them with Love Actually and work them all in. This movie would be so much better served as like the male version of a or, or or think of it like under the Tuscan sun meets a good year. Right. Like send this guy, have him find out he has the affair. He goes and he stays in France and and while there and he spends seasons there writing a novel, have him there the whole time he's writing the novel. And he's slowly starting to get to know this quirky, fiery Portuguese woman and and they challenge each other because they're so different and they fall, right? You could write that story. That would be an awesome movie. If you pare it down to this, it is oversimplified. It feels out of place. It doesn't even feel in line visually with the rest of this movie. It's not London-y. It's not Christmassy. It's not snowy. Yeah, it's chilly, but you're at a lake house. It is. Right. It feels out of place the entire time and totally unrealistic. So I say... Cut it and spend the time really diving in and make it its own movie because I agree with you, Joe. It is the sweetest story and I want to see it, but I want to see the whole thing. I don't want to see this weird piecemealed bit thrown into another movie. It, it makes so much sense. And Joe, I, I want you to get your rebuttal in on this. I was advocating earlier today for say, oh, let's cut, you know, Sarah and Carl. Let's cut Colin. Let's cut the stand-in scenes. Let's add story to this. And then Frank hits me with the fact that no matter what we add, it's still only three weeks. And I was like, damn. Right. It's still only three weeks. That's weird, so guys. That's weird. I can't, I can't get on board with it. I cannot get on board with that storyline in three weeks no matter how much that i love the scenes in portugal where they're parading through the seat the streets and you know aurelia's sister's like come with us my dad's gonna sell aurelia to a uh, this british man and then that gets translated into this british man's gonna kill aurelia like it's it's amazing it's hilarious it's you know the, the guy doesn't want to give her up because she's her best waitress when she's worked there a week you know like i just when frank hit me with that it's still only three weeks it just decimates this it's two weeks two it, weeks two weeks and it i agree i want all those parts but i want them for yes. two hours not for yeah. just another three minutes yep but see, here's the thing about this whole storyline that number one i think this storyline is needed because it is just like the sweetest 
most saccharine storyline you could have added to this movie, <laughs> especially to to balance out some of the other just really tragic storylines that happen. I mean, this 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 is like the highest of the highs throughout this movie. The other thing that I was going to say is that while we were talking previously about some sort of like fantastical or just pushing the boundaries of maybe what would be real uh, or mm-hmm. maybe what's more grounded. I mean, this this is to me sort of like the Disney equivalent storyline where they meet each other. This is this is practically. Uh, the Little Mermaid. They meet each other. They can't talk. You know, they're falling in love over a matter of days, and then they end up, you know, getting, you know, or at least getting married or getting engaged by the end of the movie. And it's and it's this just over the top sort of sweetness of them falling in love and and trying to sort of communicate, jumping in the water and having this conversation without knowing that they're actually having a conversation in two different languages. And it's 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 just this really wonderful gem in the movie. And while yes, I would absolutely love for this to be its own movie, I, I, I think it fits perfectly fine here in terms of the overall composition of it. Oh, so this is one it, we're gonna have to agree to disagree because I, I think it's the one that really doesn't, mainly because of the setting. And and I see your point, right? It is the Disney fantasy, it's the Disney fairy tale. But guess what, Joe? We've already got that. I see your little mermaid and I raise you a Cinderella. The prime minister is Prince Charming. <laughs> Natalie is Cinderella and she's sweeping his floors and bringing him biscuits. And they, against all odds, find each other and fall in love. And it's that it is cleaning lady turned princess, you know, and, and suddenly she is the first, I don't know what they call him over there. The first prime lady. I, I don't know. But the point is <laughs> we, we can satisfy that, fa- that Christmas miracle fantasy godmother type thing. Right. And, and we can satisfy that with that storyline and even invest more into it. If we don't have this random French story and prime minister, David, is already beautifully woven into another awesome story because he's the brother of Emma Thompson's Karen. So, you know, you can withdraw this part. You can still scratch the itch. You can still give the Christmas miracle glitter, lights, you know, whatever, you know, fireworks going off, Disney fantasy with that arc and not pull yourself so far out of the story. And let this live in a totally different realm, in a totally different way, that would be even better. As much as this storyline, Being in Love Actually, does Love Actually a disservice, being contained by Love Actually does the uh, Jamie and Aurelia story a disservice. I think that could be such a beautiful movie that would like be amazing if it wasn't bound by the rules of this movie, which make it ridiculous and and unbelievable and redundant because I think we scratch the itch already. And I say all of that, again, I can't stress enough. I love the characters. I think it's hilarious. I love the whole fish out of water thing. I think that whole idea is awesome. I, and I want more of it, but I don't want it in this movie. And I, I agree. I, I wish this mo- th- that that storyline were a little bit more interconnected, uh, which which it, it makes absolute sense why it's not just because of its origin. So yeah, I, I agree with you in that respect. But uh, don't 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 take this don't take this <laughs> those scenes out of the movie for me. Uh, don't well, don't I, do that to me. <laughs> I, I, take you know, my I, eyes, I, but don't take <laughs> my Jamie. <laughs> 
I mean, I think, you know, that you hit on a point there too, Joe, that they do a ham-fisted attempt to connect it in, in the epilogue scene, right? Where they're, she's like, he brings her back and he's, oh, I didn't know your friends were so cute. Maybe I made a mistake. We're like, well, since when are you friends with these people, right? It, to Frank's yeah. point earlier, we're like, we didn't know that you were friends with the love triangle. <laughs> like, where, where did that come from? But to, to, to kind of talk about, you know, we're, we're harping on this scene for being the most fantasiful. We might not have felt that way if a couple of these other scenes made the movie or these subplots. There was a subplot where Sam was a gymnast and he was going to be doing sad gym routines as he pined over Johanna. And when it comes to the airport, it was going to be the scenes of him run, running through the airport were going to be him doing back handsprings and somersaults. He, When he leaps through the metal detector, he does a front tuck. Then he sees these luggage and people waiting and he does back handsprings and cartwheels down the aisle of waiting people. And then he gets cornered and he does an uneven bar routine down to the floor to meet Joanna uh, in a. Uh, God, I'm so glad in, that got cut. Oh, you can see it. A rough edit is available. Go watch it. It's ridiculous. Another one. <laughs> um, Rowan Atkinson, Frank and I were like, oh, we could have used more of him. And I would have liked to have seen more of him. There was a possibility that he was going to be a thread throughout this entire movie as an angel and that he would have had his bigger role. You can see the remnants of this again in that airport scene where he delays and distracts the 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 um, the gate attendant. So <laughs> this this is where we're kind of we're working on that that fantasiful right where maybe this scene we could have bought into it a little bit more this storyline if we had gone to the ridiculous. I will say, as we're kind of coming to the, the end of this section here, I want to throw a curveball. Mm. There is a storyline that was cut that I wonder how you would feel about this replacing any of these ones. There was a lesbian storyline that was cut from this movie. It was produced mm. and filmed, and they cut it. It wouldn't have been long. It probably would have fit into, like the um the, you know the colin maybe the body doubles kind of area but it was going to be the headmistress of the school and her partner of x amount of years was sick and dying and it was going to show them you know kind of laughing in the face of her illness and being strong and they're still carrying on despite the fact that she is actively dying and she the partner would die, and I think the headmistress would give a speech before the Christmas pageant. And a lot of people are kind of upset that this one cut got cut simply for the fact that it is would have been it is the only you know we get some platonic love, we get some family love, but there is no same sex relationship, and there's very little you know color in this movie as well. It, it's pieces, but. It's mainly, you know, white relationships. So it's interesting that a movie in 2003 really could have made a statement by including that scene in there and then that it was cut. You know, they said it ultimately didn't fit. But I think we've argued that a couple of these other scenes didn't fit. And it really would have been a little ballsy for them to, to do the scene in 2003. Two comments about that, actually. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I'm, I'm actually glad that they didn't add it. And, and I'll explain that in a second. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the first thing I'll say is they at least referenced same-sex 
possible feelings when Sam was, you know, trying to explain what he was feeling and, you know, and, and, and his stepdad is like, you know, are you, are you in love with a he or she, or he, he at least throws that out there. as an I do option. love that part. And that he seems great. like he's perfectly fine with it. He just, he just wants what's best for his, you know, for his son. And so I'm, I'm fine with that sort of representation that they added to it. Obviously, the more sort of same-sex representation, especially in 2003, would have been better. However, I'm perfectly fine with them not adding that for the fact that there's a very common trope in lots of movies uh, that's if, if you look if you Google it, you'll you'll find it. It's I think it's called like kill the gays or something like that. Where in same-sex relationships. You can't have a happy, you know, same-sex relationship that makes it to the end of the movie. One partner always dies. And this was just going to fall directly into that trope. And I'm so glad that they did not do that. Um, that's, so, yeah. that's a great point because that was actually one of the things that I had read. And I had no – I hadn't realized that until I read it. And that was one of somebody's arguments against it was I'm really glad it got cut for simply because of that. It was like, oh, let's make – the lesbian story the biggest bummer of all and kill off their their you know the lover which like you said is a thing and i hadn't really thought about it i hadn't really realized so it is it's it's really interesting so i'm glad i brought that up because i i like sort of or kind of getting that perspective on where if or not that belonged in the, in the movie so i think given all of this we've touched on a lot and I'm sure it's a little bit confusing as any effort to try to follow so many threads, tangents, and all of that could potentially be. The last questions before we wrap that I want to pose are, do you think it's a Christmas movie? And is it a modern Christmas classic? Let's start with Tim. Yeah. So I walk the line on this, and I think in light of our last week's episode where we talked about alternative Christmas movies, I don't know that this gives me the Christmas feels. And as I said earlier, I would be totally content watching this movie outside of the Christmas season and then not longing for Christmas, right? Other movies like Elf or The Santa Claus or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation I can't watch those without being like, oh man, I wish it was Christmas. And while I think this is necessary to facilitate some of the family gatherings and some of the things like that, I don't know that this is a Christmas movie to that point. Like, yes, it is Christmas. Christmas happens. I sort of forget about it the way that I sort of forgot that it was Christmas in Die Hard. Yes, there's a ton of Christmas stuff, but even the the Christmas pageant downplays it, right? There's a lobster and there's an octopus. Yes. And it's just it's just kind of weird. Um, and yes, there's the Christmas song, but even the song itself wasn't even originally a Christmas song. It's a rewrite as sort of a, you know, a, a, a middle finger to, to the music industry, you know, from Billy Mac. So, and to the uh, Christmas songs, he hates that he, yeah. that he has to write a Christmas song. Right. And he, it's all done out of spite. So, if, you know, I said with Die Hard, if you want to watch this during Christmas and it's your jam, great. I think this fits more the alternative Christmas episode, sort of like what we were going at last week, than it does an actual you know, Santa Claus is coming to town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. That said, Christmas classic, therefore, is also a no, but for different criteria. And I will point, 
anyone who hasn't checked out the episodes, um, if you've ever on Netflix, they have the movies that made us. Uh, there was five or so episodes released last year. They did just release two Christmas ones, one on Elf and one on Nightmare Before Christmas. And in the Elf one, they talk quite extensively about uh, John Favreau's desire to make a modern Christmas classic. And that came out around the, uh, this same year in 2003. And they kind of thought that was too ambitious. Uh, you know, Frank and I have talked about this. You've heard that you hear this discussion with um, music as well. It's hard to write something modern that becomes a perennial Christmas favorite. You know, Mariah Carey's all I want for Christmas is probably one of the last Christmas songs to just become a staple, right? That's just everywhere. It's number one again this year. Like it's just never going to not be number one, which they bring into um, love actually. That's the song yes. Joanna singing. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, you look at what Christmas classics entail, and I will argue that Elf has become a Christmas classic. I think we'll talk about that a little bit more later on this month. But this movie ends up leaving out a segment, you know, a demographic. I don't think kids are really going to watch, watch this movie. I don't think even if you sit down and watch the TV edit, Frank's not going to sit down with Gabriel and say, Hey, watch this movie. He's not going to get Christmas from this. I, I, you know, it's, it's not about a part of Christmas that translates to younger kids. And so I think if you're trying to do a Christmas classic, it has to appeal to everybody. And, you know, elf, you get that you get the stop motion animation that I grew up with in the eighties. That was passed on from my parents. You get the, the funniness from Will Ferrell and his contemporary style. You know, that was, uh, he was big on SNL coming up to that. Um, and that just doesn't happen here. I just don't think there's enough to gather around the family and say, Hey kids, let's watch love. Actually. It just, it just doesn't work. I would be more inclined to watch this on, you know, uh, on a Valentine's day or, you know, some other romantic evening than I would necessarily at Christmas. Okay. What about you, Joe? For me, this movie has everything that you could want. You know, if you are feeling like you want to watch a comedy, this has it. You know, if you want to watch uh, a drama, you know, we, we never even really got into Emmett Thompson's character and yeah. that scene where she is crying, playing Joni Mitchell oh. because she realizes you know, that Alan Rickman has given uh, Mia the necklace and she got a CD instead. I mean, that just takes my heart out of my chest. And then has to pull it together to take the kids and act like everything's okay to go to the pageant. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, her acting is absolutely fantastic in this. She's the best. And so so it has, you know, comedy, drama. uh, You know, it has that Disney sort of quality in some of the storylines. It just it just sort of touches on lots of different genres and just puts it in a blender and serves it to you in a big, you know, glass for you to for you to consume. And it's just I don't know, for for me, that's why at least I would consider it a a, a Christmas classic. However, I would put a big asterisk on that and say for adults. Uh, Definitely. I don't think children would enjoy necessarily enjoy it uh i don't think that they would you know necessarily follow all the interconnected plot points but if you're an adult and you you just want something at least to me that that yells christmas uh this is it and actually uh to your point tim about elf so in red nose day actually like the 15 17 minute you know short uh after uh, this is that set like 13 years after this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
yeah, uh, Hugh Grant is again, I guess, reelected as uh, prime minister, and he's taking questions from reporters. And one of the reporters asked him, you know, what what do you think is the best Christmas movie ever? And then he's like, well, obviously Elf. <laughs> he does. He's so like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's Elf. Yeah, and so it's 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 a very obvious answer. Uh, to it. I mean, to this sort of question, you know, is this the best Christmas movie ever? Well, no, it's maybe not the best Christmas movie ever. Um, but is it one of the best? Absolutely. At least in my book. Yeah, I am in full agreement with both of you. I think to answer these questions, is it a Christmas movie? Unequivocally, yes. I know I said I'm in agreement with both of you, and that's contrary to what Tim just said. But I say that to say (laughs) that I think this movie absolutely is a Christmas movie. It takes place in Christmas. Christmas songs go throughout the whole thing. There's presents everywhere. There's Now, additionally... There is weddings and there is a French chateau or a lake house or whatever. There are lots of other elements. And so I do agree with Tim in the sense that this movie successfully caters to more than just Christmas. And like I said, I probably watch this movie twice a year. And I bet you if I really think about it, the other time I watch this would be around that Valentine's Day or or maybe on our anniversary or something like that. When Because... It's not only Christmas, it's also just love. And and that is the real story of this movie. And so I think very smartly, it appeals to multiple things. But I don't think that that appeal detracts from Christmas. I think that, I think you can comfortably watch this movie not on Christmas and not, like you say, long for Christmas. But I also think that when you do watch it at Christmas time, it does feel Christmassy. You pull from it what you need when you need it. If your focus is Christmas, you're going to get it. If your focus is just love and romance, you'll get that. And I think that's a really great part of this movie. Is it a modern classic? Again, not to beat the dead horse, but I completely agree that it isn't. Because I think to be a, a classic Christmas movie, you have to appeal to the whole family because that's what you're doing, right? You're you're gathered around and you're watching Elf or you're watching Rudolph the Red Nose or you're watching It's a Wonderful Life or something along those lines that everyone in the room can enjoy. And this one does not check that box. And I think that's what holds it back. You know, I think if you make some of these cuts that we were talking about, you can be that, right? I think if you are removing some of those elements, you're doing that. But The argument also is that you could be removing a lot of the essence of what this is, which is a movie for adults. And so I think this very firmly would fit more in the non-traditional movies that are the perfect Christmas movies for certain people, like Joseph says, for adults. And, and, And so I think you guys laid it out perfectly, and I'm in full agreement. I think all of this being said... If you cut nothing out of this, you know, this was just a conversation that when you watch this movie, I I think there are ways you can make it a little better. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, the movie is so much fun. It is so filled with heart and so filled, you know, and I I do think in, in focusing the downside of this episode, but also maybe the positive in focusing on the things we would cut. We did not focus on the things this movie does incredibly well. The Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman storyline is probably one of the most underrated storylines in all of cinema. And Emma Thompson's performance in this movie is once again, another reason 
why I will never understand why people don't talk about her more when you talk about the greatest actors of our time. She is yeah. incredible. Yes, the Joni Mitchell part is insane, but also the part when they're in at the Christmas party and her husband spends zero minutes with her. He dances with Mia, he's chatting with Mia, he's talking to Mia. There's a scene where she comes into the room and they're getting ready for bed. She's like, oh, Mia's very pretty. And Alan Rickman's like, oh, is she? I didn't notice, right? Like the typical guy answer. And she just looks at him straight on and is like, you know that she is and be careful there, right? Like she is, she is watching this happen. She is not in the dark. So many times we see these infidelity stories where like the other partner is in the, we see it with Colin Firth, right? He's completely oblivious to the fact that his brother is poning his girlfriend, right? Emma Thompson knows yeah. exactly what's happening and she's nobody's fool. And then the part where she confronts him. And it's such an interesting story too, because they haven't had sex yet. But right. there's absolutely infidelity, right? Because there is a heart thing there. He gave her a gold necklace and he gave the mother of his children a CD. There, there is hurt there. And that plays out so painfully and beautifully and it's so well done. And so in a way, I'm glad we didn't spend a lot of time on those stories because go and watch the movie and, and, yeah. and see that my argument is less of the superfluous and more of that soul those parts of this movie that really really hit and uh, yes. and enjoy those moments um i think that despite my criticisms of using writers as directors and given how busy this story is and how long this movie is and we've already talked tim has given us so much insight as to how much did hit the cutting room floor richard curtis and his writing is brilliant to even come close to coming up with a a story that even somewhat makes sense when you're trying to jam pack all these different things into one movie is a massive massive achievement and that is only illustrated by every movie that this movie launched following it yeah. for every subsequent right. holiday new year's eve valentine's day mother's day even what to expect when you're expecting all these ensemble movies that try to be funny and heartwarming and all this stuff are awful awful movies and this one is not that so everything aside this movie is a massive achievement and and an absolute must watch when the kids are in bed in my opinion so for me yeah i love it i give this movie an eight out of ten i already said it's worth the buy you're gonna watch it multiple times valentine's day anniversary or christmas whatever on a on a tuesday it doesn't matter this movie is great and it's super super enjoyable what are your guys's ratings and any final thoughts I think what this ends up coming out to be for me is uh, an argument that that is really that I've had before regarding an album. You know, people like to do this with the Beatles White Album. It was a, you know, a double album where they just kind of threw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and most of it stuck. And there are snippets of songs in there. There are things in there that are that are throwaway that should have been thrown away. And, you know, people argue that if they had some outside influence that they would have cut this down into their masterpiece album. And it would have been the most solid album that they ever recorded. Right. And I think that's what we're looking at here. We're saying, Hey, there's fat on this that we could have trimmed, but it's still good. It's still enjoyable. It still tells a lot of stories and hits a lot of notes. 
would it be maybe amazing? Would it be an Academy Award-winning film if we trimmed some of the fat? Maybe. But that's not what the vision of the artist was, right? That's not what it ended up being. And is the movie weaker for some of these scenes? Maybe we can make that argument. But I don't, I don't think they detract anything. I think everything that we've talked about would just kind of plus up some of this stuff. Um, because none of it is terrible. Um, none of it is, is, is awful. And, you know, we can play Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback all we want, but, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're still left with a good movie. And it, it does. It, it, you know, it set the standard that, that none of these movies that Frank mentioned have lived up to. You know, I've watched the other ones. We've started to watch New Year's Eve on New Year's Eve simply because it's called New Year's Eve and we watch Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day. None of them are as subtle as this none of them are as as neatly tied together where like things just kind of flow and i think you know joey said earlier you know not having everything spelled out for us is okay you know in some of these later movies you get valentine's day it's like oh this person's connected to this person and they're connected to this person and they're connected to this person and then it's like well does everybody know each other you know it's just it gets kind of messy and a lot of valentine's day ends up being retreads of this there's a kid love story um, there's a, uh, you know, chasing uh, through the airport to tell a girl you love her scene. You know, there, there's a lot of retread there. But I think the OG with this movie, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it was fresh, it's new, and it's, it, and it's a great story in the end. Whether we cut these pieces we don't care for it or not, it, it, it still has a lot of heart and a lot of character. And it, it ends up being fun to watch. And like Frank said earlier, a light lift. I think if I, if I had to give it a rating... It, it, I don't want to give it's it's very hard for me to give anything a 10 out of 10 so I'm not going to give this movie a 10 out of 10 because it it does have things that could be improved I, I'll give it a 9 out of 10 for being what it is as like a Christmas movie with all of these interconnected stories and it does it so well the the one point I want to make about all of this is at no point in the movie is my face neutral when I watch it I'm either mm. smiling, I'm either laughing, or I'm just um, an emotional wreck. But it's I, I'm always feeling something. And that's what I think this movie does so well. And, you know, I, I did watch uh, New Year's Day. And, I mean, that, that movie made me either feel angry or absolutely neutral. <laughs> uh, so, that movie was awful. <laughs> absolutely atrocious. But, but this movie just always made me feel something good or meaningful. And, and that's, and that's the real, I think, takeaway for me about this movie is that it it knows, it knows what notes to play and it plays them well. Mm. So isn't that the essence of Christmas though, Joe, you always feel something, (laughs) whether it's, happy and excited or you're bummed because you're not excited right and that is love actually i think it's spot on and and it's it's a must watch i think from all of us regardless of when you watch it it seems that we all agree this one's worth your time guys thank you all so much for listening and and sitting tight with this one i know it was a long one but hopefully it was worth it to give you guys an idea of what to expect coming up 
Next week, we are going to do our Christmas episode where we will be breaking down the Christmas must-watches. So so first we gave you the non-traditional. This week we gave you the Joseph request of, of his must-watch. And so we are going to break down even more episodes. Hopefully, we'll still be joined by Tim. Mm-hmm. But if his little Christmas miracle pops up a little bit early, hopefully we can convince you, Joe, to come and step in and, and join me for that endeavor. Absolutely. I'd be more than happy. Awesome. So uh, so stay tuned for uh, who knows what co-host you'll get. But I will yeah. be here for I have had all my children and that shop is now closed. But yeah, so join us next week for our picks for the absolute must watch in the Christmas season. After that, we're going to be on break for Christmas. Mm-hmm. We will be back the following week for our New Year's Eve episode where we will be yeah. talking about Netflix's Rebecca and comparing it to the 1940s version by Alfred Hitchcock. So you can check that out. And then we're going to go on break for the month of January and back with you with the first episode of season two, the first Thursday of February. Uh, We'll still be posting up stuff, Instagram and whatever. Keep you guys posted so you know when we're coming back. But just to keep you guys in the loop, those are the plans for the coming weeks. Um, And as we learned anything in 2020, plans mean absolute crap. So... (laughs) Who knows what 2021 is going to be like? Oh, it's going to be crazy. Other than that, uh, obviously, check us out at the website, www.pausereviews.com, where our site and our podcast and everything is hosted by the awesome, incredible, amazing Podbean. You can check this episode out on the Podbean app, available on iOS and Android. And, of course, in any of the directories, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, whatever we're everywhere so check us out download us wherever you get your podcasts check us out on instagram at paused reviews and if you need to shoot us an email because none of these other ways work for you uh, you can email us at pausedreviews at gmail.com i think that's it again joe we cannot thank you enough for joining us this week and this was an awesome pick this was a lot of fun to dive into uh, thank you so much for having me, uh, both Frank and Tim. I, I had a blast doing this, so anytime. Awesome. Well, as always, I'm your boy Frank. This is Tim. And I'm Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Have a great week. See you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. Shitter was full. Shitter was full.